I'm ready when you're ready, Freddie. I know you like that thing. You're dying to do that. <laughs> He's dying to do it. I'm ready. <laughs> oh. Thank you, Diana. I watch you looking out across the raging water So sure your only hope lies on the other side You hear the enemy that's closing in around you I know that you don't have the strength to fight But do you? Have the faith to stand And believe me now Believe me here Remember all the times I told you Loud and clear I am with you And I am for you So believe me now Believe I am the one who waved my hand Split the ocean I am the one who spoke the words And raised the dead And I've loved you long before I set the world in motion I know all the fears you're feeling now But do you Remember who I am Believe me now Believe me here Remember all the times I told you Loud and clear I am with you And I am for you So believe Believe it's true I never have, I never will Abandon you And the God that I have always been I will forever be So believe me now I am a God who never wastes a single hurt that you endure my words are true and all my promises are sure so believe me now oh believe me now so believe Times I told you 
loud and clear. I am with you, and I am for you. So believe me now, believe it's true. I never have, I never will abandon you. And the God that I have always been, I will forever be. So believe me now Believe me now Believe me I just like the way Titus just did, you know, you should, did you do the behind the back thing? I didn't, I wasn't watching. No? Okay. But anyways, that's what you got to do. It looks, it looks cool when you do that, you know, you're like, you know. <laughs> hey. Good evening. Continue your Bibles to Romans 15.30. Romans chapter 15, verse 30. Last paragraph we're beginning this evening in Romans chapter 15. It says that I've been pointing out our last class will be on the book of Romans will be, if all goes according to schedule and. You know, we don't get rapture or something else happens that I don't plan on. We should be done by August 29th. And then we're going to do the book of Jonah. So we're going to, uh, this evening we're going to study, uh, begin to study the final paragraph, the sixth and final paragraph of Romans chapter 15. And, and this evening we're going to begin, because it's such a big verse and there's a lot being said, we're going to begin a study of Romans 15.30. We'll, we'll finish it off tomorrow. And we're going to see in this verse this evening that Paul requests that the Romans pray for him on the basis of their common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and the divine love produced by the Spirit. So this is going, the, the, what we're going to see, the application will be is that we're to pray for each other. And we're to, and Paul is asking for prayers. He's a communicator of the gospel. So what we're going to derive from this study is that we should be praying for the communicators of the word of God, uh, whether that be your pastor, teacher, or an evangelist. We should be praying for these men who proclaim the word. Paul actually requested prayer from the Roman believers, and this wasn't the first time that we see in his writings that he did this. We'll be pointing that out as well. And then tomorrow, it's interesting, because he's going to talk to uh, talk about tomorrow, we're going to see a verb in Romans 15, 30, where he says, I want you to fight together with me in prayer on my behalf. So we're going to find out tomorrow evening that uh, prayer is a part of spiritual combat. We studied this in the past, and it's in the book on prayer. But uh, we're going to see that prayer is a, a very, very important key part in our experiencing victory over the kingdom of darkness, uh, who is warring against our church and other churches throughout this country and the world that are uh, faithful in teaching the word of God. So that will be our study here this evening and tomorrow. So without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer to prepare ourselves to hear the teaching of the word of God, applying First John 1, 9 if necessary. And this recovers our fellowship with God, and then we maintain that fellowship by bringing our thoughts into obedience to the Spirit. That constitutes obeying the command of Ephesians 5.18, to be filled with the Spirit, and, uh, and to let the Word of Christ uh, richly dwell in our souls, which we're commanded of, and Colossians 3.16. So if there's anything that's bothering you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord, because He cares for you. So in the privacy of our very own royal priesthood, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, another beautiful day here, out here in Iowa, another day to experience fellowship with you, your Son, and the Holy Spirit, and with each, other's, each other as members of the body of Christ. We thank you for those who are in the chapel this evening and those who might be listening uh, on the internet on Pal Talk and uh, who might be viewing or listening to our class on the website at a later date or getting our materials, uh, CDs, that will be listening to those or DVDs. We just uh, pray for them that they would receive their necessary spiritual nourishment here this evening. We pray, Father, that they would have objectivity and humility to what the Spirit will be saying to us this evening through the teaching of the Word of God. We pray that you would give grace to the communicator, that you would empower him to deliver your full counsel to your people with, with accuracy with clarity, with reverence and respect and power, so that your people would be ministered to and you and your son, Jesus Christ, would be lifted up and glorified. Father, we also lift up our congregation. We pray that all of us would continue to grow in love toward you and each other. And we just pray, Father, that you would remind each and every one of us that we are uh, our true enemy is the kingdom of darkness and that we're to pray for each other if we love each other. As we say, we are Christians and we are to demonstrate that love that you had for us, that you demonstrated through the Son and the Spirit, to demonstrate it toward each other so we can tell uh, by our conduct and our love demonstrate that we're disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, and thus bring glory to you and your Son. Help us to understand that we're obligated to forgive and be patient and tolerant of each other, to love each other as you have loved us through your Son and the Spirit. And we pray for Don McKinney and his wife Barbara. We just pray for Don that you give the doctors and nurses wisdom treating him and help them find out what might be the problem with him and that you would give him a full recovery so that he could be back entering into our fellowship of the word and fellowship with each other as members, a member of this congregation. And we just pray, Father, for him and comfort him and Barbara and uh, the family. And we also pray, Father, that uh, he wouldn't have, a, wouldn't have a long stay there at the hospital and that he could be out tomorrow if possible. And we uh, pray, Father, uh, again, uh, we just lift up our individuals that are other ministries such as our own. We pray for their spiritual and temporal needs. We, we lift up Pastor McLaughlin's ministry at Grace Bible Church, Jim Ricard, Joe Griffin, uh, Bobby Thiem, and uh, others throughout this country, George Meisinger and those at Schaefer Theological Seminary, and others throughout this country and the world that are teaching the Word of God and are faithful. We pray, Father, for the Nigerian Theological Baptist Seminary that is receiving our materials over in Nigeria, Africa. And we pray, Father, for all of these individuals and their ministries and that you would provide for them their spiritual and temporal needs. And we pray that they, too, would operate in love, your love, Father, to bring glory to you in their particular personal periphery. And we pray, Father, for these things in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, this evening, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to begin a study of Romans 15.30, which begins the sixth and final paragraph of Romans chapter 15. Now, in this verse, we're going to see that Paul uh, appeals to the Roman believers as a spiritual brother and their common relationship with each other that they share together with the Lord Jesus Christ and on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit to fight together with Him by means of their prayers on behalf of Him. So we, we're going to see, as I mentioned earlier, tomorrow that He talks about prayer in the context of spiritual combat with the kingdom of darkness. So He's actually, we're going to see this evening, He's going to appeal to them to pray for Him based upon, first of all, the, their common relationship that they share with each other, that they're spiritual brothers and sisters, and also on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit. On those two basis, on the basis of those two things, 
he tells them, I want you, I'm appealing to you to fight together with me by means of your pr- prayers on behalf of myself. Now, in verse 31, he identifies what he wants them to pray for, namely, that he would be rescued from those who were disobedient to the gospel in Judea, and that his service for the poor Jewish believers in Jerusalem would prove acceptable to the Jewish believers in that city. The book of Acts tells us that those prayers were answered. Then in verse 32, he's going to reveal another objective he wants them to pray for. Namely, that by the Father's will, he would enter into their company with joy and find refreshing rest in their company. Now look at Romans 15.30. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, To strive together, as we'll see tomorrow, that means to fight together, actually. To fight together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I might be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God, and find refreshing rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now let's look at verse 30 in detail, which we're going to see marks a transition uh, from the fifth paragraph that is a, that appears in verses 20 through to 29, uh, 22 through 29, to the sixth and final paragraph of the chapter, as I mentioned before. Look at verse 30. It says, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, well, the, the part of the verse we're going to take this evening is going to be the phrase, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit. We're going to find out what those two things are because it's very important. It's going to teach us something. We're going to find out this evening that we're to pray for each other. Now, Paul's asking prayer for himself on the Roman believers. And the basis he he, he requests this or appeals to them to pray for him was that they shared a common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and also through the divine love produced by the Holy Spirit in them. They were to pray for him. So this is what we're going to find out, that we as Christians should pray not only for our communicators, but this is true of all believers. Whether we like them or not, we're to pray for each other because we're all spiritual brothers and sisters. We're all spiritual brothers and sisters. We're in the same family. We're going to live with each other forever. We're all, we're all going to receive a resurrection body. We're all in the family of God. We're all members of the future bride of Christ. All members of the body of Christ. Christ is the vine. We're the branches. He is the our great high priest. We're, priest uh, we're a royal priesthood, a universal royal priesthood. He is the one that we are related to. And based upon that fact, we should pray for each other. So that's what Paul is saying. I'm appealing to you to, to pray for me on the basis of the fact that we're related to each other by spiritual birth, by regeneration. Thus, the insanity of Christians and also the, the fact they reveal that they're living in their sin nature and deceived by the devil when they think that their fellow Christians are their enemies. That is insanity on the part of a Christian to think that their fellow believer is their enemy when in reality it's the kingdom of darkness uh, that is the real enemy and the sin nature. And so we need to pray for each other and not complain about each other. We need to pray. That's an expression of God's love in our lives. And that's exactly what he says by the love of the Spirit. The love produced by the Spirit. That divine love that the Holy Spirit produces in us when we listen to the Word of God, which the Spirit speaks to us through, and we take it on faith what the Spirit says, and then we apply it 
obey the command to, uh, to love each other as God in Christ has loved us. When we do that, the Spirit is producing that love. It's not something we produce on our own. It's produced by the power of the Spirit, and He works through, uh, through us through the teaching of the Word of God. Remember, the Word of God is alive and powerful. So this is what Paul's ap- appealing to. I want you to pray for me, and I want you to pray for me based upon our common relationship and based upon the divine love produced by the Holy Spirit. A love that will cause you to pray for me. So the reason maybe why Christians don't pray for each other and don't like each other is because they're failing to see, as we'll say, that they are uh, forgiven by God. That God loved them when He was you were their enemy. We were all their enemies of the Trinity. And he loved us anyways, as we saw in Romans 5, 6 through 8. He loved us when we were his enemies. He raised us up and seated us with, his Christ, with Christ, his, uh, his son, when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Before a holy God, God did this for us. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. And we see, therefore, what, what we're self-righteous if we can't forgive and pray for each other and love each other. Because God has forgiven you and loved you and me. We're obligated to love and forgive each other. And that love is manifested in the fact that we pray for each other. So that's why he's putting prayer, uh, the common relationship that Paul and his fellow readers have with the Lord Jesus Christ, and this love that's produced by the Spirit, a love that is not human, it's divine in origin. So many times we can't love with this love because we're depending upon our own human power, and our human power can't do this. That's when we know that we're not living in the power of the Spirit, when we can't pray for our fellow believer, or we don't have, we can't love them or forgive them, or uh, be patient and tolerant of them. It's a sign that you're living, trying to do it in your flesh, and you, that's why you're having a struggle with it. So we see that Paul says here in verse 30, Now I urge you, brethren. The word urge there is parakaleo, and that means to appeal, because this word denotes asking earnestly for something on the basis of something. That's why it should be translated, I appeal. Now Paul is appealing to the Roman believers, as I said before, on the basis of the common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that he shares with them and on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit to strive together with him in prayer for him. You, when he says, I urge you, uh, the word you there is referring, of course, to, the, to Paul's Gentile and Jewish Christian readers in Rome. Now, brethren is very important because it's the word athelphos. And this word emphasizes with the Roman Christians that they are on equal footing with the apostle and that they are sons of God like him, that they were saved based upon the merits of Christ and not on their own merits. So if we are all been saved based upon the merits of another, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, where do we get off thinking that we're better or that we can't forgive our brother and sister in Christ or that we can't pray for them? We are obligated to do so because we are all sons of God. And we are to, to pray for each other because we're spiritual brothers. Paul's saying, I want you to pray for me because I'm your spiritual brother. And Paul, uh, the New Testament talks about this spiritual brotherhood and sisterhood that we have. And this word of Thelphos uh, actually describes that or denotes that. Now look at John chapter 1. Hold your place. Look at John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1, and look at verse 1, John 1, 1. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, the word, Jesus Christ. And apart from him, nothing came into being or existence that has come into existence. In him, the word, Jesus Christ, was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. That's, of course, the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light. Another figure for Jesus Christ. Another title for him. So that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, the word, Jesus Christ. There was the true light which came coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him in experiential sense. Then look what he says in verse 11. He came to his own, the Jewish people, and those who were his own did not receive him. The nation rejected him. The majority did. But as many as received him, he says, to them... He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The word name means his person. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, the will of God. Now go to Galatians chapter 3, another passage which talks about our spiritual brotherhood through the spiritual birth. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 26. Galatians 3, 26. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. So we're all, faith means, faith in Christ Jesus means you were saved based upon the merits of the object of your faith, Jesus Christ. Not how much faith you have, it's who you have your faith in that saves you. We're not, we're not better than the Muslims, Christians. Christians are not better than the atheists. They're not better than the Muslims or the, 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 the any other religion, a Buddhist. Because we're all sinners, we're condemned before a holy God, then why is God accepting us? He's accepting us based upon the merits of Jesus Christ, the object of our faith. So therefore, we're all equal before the cross. Faith makes us equal. Look at verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus, meaning identified with him, have clothed yourselves with Christ, meaning his nature. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. But notice in verse 26, for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Then Romans 15.30, which you can go back to now, the word brethren is referring to that fact, that we are all spiritual brothers and sisters, sons of God, through faith in Jesus Christ. We're related to each other by the spiritual birth, and that's stronger than blood. Okay, because your family, unless they're born again and saved, is not going to spend eternity with you. Hopefully, our members of our family will believe in Christ. Where our true family is the body of Christ, not your your family that you uh, uh, came into the world. Your natural family, your true family, is your spiritual family, and that means all Christians. Doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. Doesn't matter, matter if you're a born again Catholic. And I, and I hear it laugh at some people think that Catholics can't get born again and saved. Of course, they, I know Catholics are born again and saved. Of course, they are, and priests that are. So to say that they are not that because they belong to a certain denomination means they can't be members of the body of Christ or can't have faith in Christ is is ludicrous and ignorant. So they're, whether you're born again Catholic or born again Protestant or go, a born again Pentecostal, non denominational, a Baptist, whatever you are. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a member of God's family. 
You're a member of his God's family. So therefore, uh, we, based upon that fact, we should be praying for each other. And Paul alludes to that, of course, in verse 30. Now, when he says in Romans 15, 30, Now I urge you, brethren, the word brethren, there in the original, Athelphos, emphasizes with the Roman Christians that they're on equal footing with the Apostle Paul and that they are sons of God like him. Now we have the big, a big phrase here, prepositional phrase. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, which in the original is composed of the, uh, the preposition uh, thea, which is translated through, and then with it we have the genitive form of the personal pronoun ego, which is translated our. And then we have the articulate genitive form of the noun Kyrios, which is translated Lord, and that's followed by the genitive form of the noun Jesus, trans- translated correctly Jesus, and then lastly we have the genitive form of the noun Christos, which is also translated correctly Christ. Now the word Kyrios, Lord, is very important. It indicates the following about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It indicates that Jesus of Nazareth is equal with the Father and the Spirit. I and the Father are one, Jesus. In him, in him all the fullness of de- deity dwells. And secondly, Kyrios also denotes that Jesus Christ, it denotes his ju- joint rulership with the Father over the entire cosmos. And three, it denotes his highest ranking position as the chief administrator in the divine government. And number four, the word Lord there is refers to his absolute sovereign authority as ruler over all creation and every creature. His stri- number five, it also refers to his strategic victory over Satan and the kingdom of darkness and the angelic conflict. So what does the word Lord mean? A lot of people skip right over it and never think about it. Why has he put that in there? It's very important. It refers to this. It refers to the fact that Jesus is equal to the Father. It denotes his joint rulership with the Father over the entire creation. Three, it denotes his highest ranking position as chief administrator in the divine government. Four, it talks about his absolute sovereign authority as ruler, not only over the church, but over every creature in all of creation, including the fallen angels. They can do nothing without him saying so. And so anytime that we face any attack from the kingdom of darkness, you can rest assured that the Lord Jesus Christ saw fit for that attack to take place. Why? Probably, if you're a positive of the word of God, to draw you closer to him through that attack, to draw you closer in, uh, to him and make you more fervent in your prayer life and more dedicated and devoted to him, to increase your faith muscle. And then number five, the word Lord also, again, speaks of his strategic victory over Satan and the kingdom of darkness and the angelic conflict. Satan is a defeated foe. And we have that victory through our union with Christ. We're crucified, died, buried, raised in what? Seated at the right hand of the Father. Remember Ephesians chapter 2? We're there in a position of power and victory. That's where in union with Christ. And so, so as we mentioned in, on the subject of prayer, and it's in the book on prayer that we have, that we're to pray from our position at the right hand of the Father. We don't have to fight for the victory. I repeat, we don't have to fight for the victory. We need to just appropriate by faith what the Word of God says about that victory, that we have it already. It's a case of us just appropriating it by faith. And so when we pray by faith, 
and we appeal to our position in Christ. When it says, in Jesus' name, I pray for this Father in Jesus' name. What does that mean? It means that based upon His merits and also, not only the merits of His death on the cross that I want you to answer me, Father, but also based upon the merits of my union and identification with Christ. In His name talks about that union and identification with Christ. So, Jesus Christ, it says here, through our Lord Jesus Christ, the word Lord, remember, is is used here in reference to the person of Christ. In His deity, remember, Jesus is Lord. But in his, however, in his humanity, in his human nature, he received the title as a result of his obedience to the Father's will, which called for him to suffer a spiritual and physical death on the cross as a substitute for every member of the human race, past, present, and future. Remember Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, talk about the fact that because Christ was obedient to the Father and went to the cross, he bestowed upon Jesus, it says Jesus, at the name of Jesus, Every person shall bow. He gave that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So why is it, was it important that, uh, so, that the Father saw fit or felt it important to give this title to the human nature of Christ when he was already in his deity, uh, the Son of God? It's because of the whole thing of that in, in Psalm 8 and also Genesis 1 we studied that God wanted a man, mankind, to rule over the works of his hands. The first Adam failed and his wife However, the second Adam, Jesus Christ, he succeeded. And so therefore, he, whatever, remember we studied in Romans 5, 12 through 21, where Adam failed, Christ not only negated what, uh, what Adam did, but also gave us much more than Adam ever lost for us. So it was important because God wanted a human being to work a rule over the works of his hands. That's why he had to give Jesus the title of Lord, even though he already had it in his deity. Now, the word kerios is the object of the preposition thea, as I mentioned earlier. And that preposition functions as a marker of efficient cause. That's very important because it indicates the basis for Paul's appeal to his readers to strive together with him in prayer for himself. In other words, Paul's readers, when he says, Through our Lord Jesus Christ, I appeal to you, brethren. Look at verse 30. He's saying in verse 30, Now, He says in verse 30, Now I urge you, or I appeal to you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, to and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. When he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul's readers, what he means is that Paul's readers were to strive together with him in prayer for himself on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ, and specifically on the basis of the common relationship where they, which they share together with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where did I get that? Did you pull that out of the air, Bill? No. The word, I'll show you in a minute where I got that. The proper name Jesus, Jesus, refers to the human nature of the incarnate Son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. Christos, well, let's find out what that means. It's a technical word. It designates the human nature of our Lord as the promised Savior for all mankind, who is unique as the incarnate Son of God, and totally and completely guided and empowered by the Spirit, as a servant of the Father. Now, this prepositional phrase contains what we call the figure of metonymy, common in all languages. You see it often in the New Testament. This, what, it, what, it, what it means here in our passage is that the Lord Jesus Christ is put for the common relationship that Paul and his readers share with him. So how did I get that? Why would you, How would you get that interpretation? There's different ways to interpret that prepositional phrase, as I'm going to show you in a minute. But the, 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 what it should, how it should be translated is that, or referring to, is that he's talking about our common relationship 
with the Lord Jesus Christ. Based upon our common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to strive together, fight together with me, and pray for myself. Now, this indicates that the Roman believers were to intercede in prayer for Paul on the basis of the common relationship with Christ that they share together. Now, this is indicated. When I say they're to, to uh, pray for him based upon their common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, it doesn't say that there explicitly, does it? It just says, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, where do I get the fact that he's, it emphasizes their common relationship? Well, first of all, the pronoun ego means our. And that the presence of that pronoun is also is important. And plus, the word adelphos, brethren, that talks about our spiritual relationship with each other through faith in Jesus Christ. It does not refer here, when he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ, that doesn't mean he's appealing to them to uh, based upon the authority of Christ to pray for him. Since Paul could appeal to his readers to pray based upon his authority as an apostle. This prepositional phrase, by our Lord Jesus Christ, does not refer to the death of Christ. Why? Because this would only make sense if Paul was teaching uh, to approach the Father in prayer for him based upon the merits of Christ's death on the cross. But he's not doing that here. He's appealing to them on the basis of their common relationship that they share together with Christ. Or in other words, he's appealing to them to pray for him because they're spiritual brothers and sisters. Because they share this common relationship with Christ, which is indicated by Paul's use of Athelphos, brother, brethren, and the word our. So look at, look at it says in verse 30. Now I urge you, brethren, very important, it's key. This is what context means a lot. It'll help us understand the ambiguous prepositional phrase, by our Lord Jesus Christ. So now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, brethren there is telling us he's emphasizing a spiritual relationship with each other. They're spiritual brothers and sisters, Paul and the Roman believers. So that's important. Our Lord Jesus Christ, that means they share something together. So thus I say, and then you have the word by, which is actually the word thea in the original, with the genitive form there, the nouns, emphasizes efficient cause. So he's saying, on the basis, or you could say, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters, on the basis of our common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. So it's ambiguous there by our Lord Jesus Christ, but the context can give us help. The context, brethren, key. Our also is key. Together, you put them together. He's saying, I want you to, I want you to pray for me because we share a common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not saying, I want you to, uh, to pray for me based upon the death of Christ because he's not telling, he's not teaching them, uh, how they're to pray. And he's, he's not doing that at all. So let's back it up here and let me show you what, it, uh, break it down for you again. So when he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ, he's not saying, I appeal to you by the authority of Christ, since Paul could appeal to his readers to pray based upon his authority as an apostle. It doesn't refer to the death of Christ, because this would only make sense if Paul was teaching to approach the Father in prayer for him based upon the merits of Christ's death on the cross. Rather, it's referring to the fact that he wants them, he's appealing to them, to pray for him because they share a common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, as indicated by the word brethren and the word our. Now, I just gave you different interpretations of that prepositional phrase. You might say, that's not important to me, Bill. How is that going to help me get through my day? It, it, does, it, does, it is going to help you get through your day if you listen to me. Interpretation, how can, you, how can you live according to God's word if you don't know what God's word says? So I give you, I gave you different interpretations of that prepositional phrase. 
because I feel it's important because I want you to know what's the right interpretation. And I want you to know what the right one is, and by knowing the right one here, now you'll understand one of the reasons why we should pray for each other and why we should pray for our pastor, because we share a common relationship with him. I'm your spiritual brother, and you're my spiritual brothers and sisters, and we're a family. So he's saying, based upon the fact that we have a, we're living in a common family, we're, we're part of a common family, we have a, we're all related to Jesus Christ. Again, this is talking about fellowship again. Remember, Christian fellowship is based upon, first of all, the fact that we share a common relationship with Jesus Christ. So that regardless of what denomination you belong to, if you have faith in Christ, we can have fellowship with each other. Why? Because we can meet around the person of Christ. He's the, he's the reason why we're all in the family of God in the first place. And then we have partnership, stewardship, and companionship. All different areas of Christian fellowship. So, again, when he says, by our Lord Jesus Christ, that refers to the fact that Paul's appealing to his readers to pray for him because they're spiritual brothers and sisters, and they're spiritual brothers and sisters because they share this common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when he says, by the love of the Spirit, now, remember, he's given us uh, two things that are the basis for them praying for him. One, we found out that they share a common relationship with each other. Paul's appealing to that so that they pray for him, fight together with him in prayer. Now we have the second one, the second basis for which, the second reason why Paul's readers should pray for him, fight together with him, for him in prayer. By the love of the Spirit denotes this second reason. By the love of the Spirit is another prepositional phrase. And again, we have the preposition thea, but this time they translate it by. And then with it, we have the articular form of the noun Panevma. It's pronounced Numa in the Erasmus pronunciation, but I'm giving you the historically correct one. That's correctly translated spirit. Now, we see here, by the love of the spirit, the word love there, in fact, I left it out there. I don't know. I can't believe I did that. That's my first mistake since 1965. That's a joke. But love of the spirit, that drives me crazy. I don't know why I left it out. But the word love there is agape. I already know it anyways. Agape is the word love there, and it talks about divine love. The noun agape means divine love, and it's used with the Roman believers as the subject and Paul's, Paul as its object. Now, divine love is not something you can work up. You can't work up this love in your life. And God, and how many times have I taught this? A million times, a gazillion times. In fact, the very first thing I ever taught when I first came out to Iowa was this, love. I, the very first thing I taught when I was came out in June of 2001 to visit, okay, I, I, and we were teach, I was teaching in Belle Plaine there in that uh, Masonic Lodge there, whatever it is. Remember that? You know that. And uh, over there, and I was teaching on the subject of love. And love, you can't work this love up. You, and, and, we, and you'll find this out. Everybody finds this out as a Christian, as a baby Christian. And God periodically reminds us along the way as we grow to maturity that we, we can't do this on our own. We can't love like God on our own. We can't do it from our own human power. It's, it, we're incapable of doing that. And God shows us we can't do it on our own power when we are faced with obnoxious people in our lives or difficult situations where the person has wounded you, hurt you, whatever it is, and you try to, and you can't handle it, and you get bitter toward them. That's God telling you, you you're not operating in my love. Because if you operated in my love, you could forgive that person no matter who he is. So it's just the manifestation of being uh, learning with Peter. Had you remember Peter? Peter was taught a lesson. Lord, I'm going to be with you. Oh, Peter, 
You're going you're gonna to betray me. You're going you're gonna to deny me three times before the cock crows. Three times you will have denied me. Three times. So Peter, he thought he could do it in his own power. He couldn't do it in his own power. He was disloyal to the Lord at his, at his most, uh, most difficult moment. His best, one of his best friends, Peter, ab- abandoned him and would have nothing to do with him. And so what was Peter? Lord, Lord understood that Peter would do this. Because, and Peter said, oh, I'll be with you right to the end, Lord. And he couldn't do it. Why couldn't Peter do it? Because he was trying to do it in his own power. And God teaches us this. It's nothing wrong. It, there's, there's nothing wrong to failing. There's nothing. It's all right to fail. God knows we're going to fail. What's bad is if we never learn from our failures. If we still make the same stupid mistakes over and over and over again and never learn the lesson. We need to learn from our mistakes that when, number one, we cannot live the Christian way of life and love the way God wants us to love in our own power. It's got to come from God, the Holy Spirit, and he gives us this capacity to love through the word of God. Let me show you this, this particular uh, uh, facet. Before I do, let me show you, before I show you in Romans and a couple other passages, how we get this love and experience this love and practice this love. First of all, we need to understand that divine love is produced by the Holy Spirit in the believer who responds by faith to the Spirit's revelation in the Word of God as the God's love for the Christian. And this love expresses itself in obedience to the Spirit's command in the Word of God to love one's fellow human being. So if you love your fellow Christian the way Paul's asking the Roman believers to love him, you will pray for for that person. You You will pray for your fellow believer in Christ, your fellow brother and sister in Christ. Let's see how we get this love. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We've studied this many times in the past, and of course I have no problem repeating these things, because people don't get it. How do I know that? Because I see people not practicing, and I see people failing, and I see people not doing what they've been taught. And it's always good for us, for those who might be doing this, because it reminds us of these things, and therefore we can maintain the fact that we're doing these things. But it's nothing wrong to, uh, to be. It's nothing wrong to have reminders. But look at Romans five one. Romans five one. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God, the confident expectation of receiving a resurrection body. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character hope. So if you're going through something, it's a good thing. Adversity is a great thing. It'll either make you or break you. You'll either quit on God or you'll, you'll, you'll blow up or you'll go into apostasy or you'll advance. It's either going to make you or break you. Your attitude Depend, attitude is everything. So if your attitude through, is, through adversity is, that, is to complain and to bitch and complain like the world does, then you obviously don't understand what God's doing. You don't understand how God advances you in the spiritual life. He grows us. He advances us and strengthens our faith through adversity. Then he says in verse 5, And hope, remember its word means confidence there, a confident expectation, does not disappoint. Why? Here we go. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And where does the Holy Spirit speak to us? Through the Word of God. 
Right now, in verses 6 to 8 of this chapter, he talks about this love. The Spirit tells us in the Word of God, this in verses 6, six through 8, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's all of us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps with a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love. It's unique to him. It's his, he is love. He demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now let me ask you a question. If Christ died for every single Christian, all right, let's say you have a problem with somebody. Here's how to solve your problems, biblically. If somebody has wounded you, hurt you, done something you think is terribly wrong to you, okay, no matter what it is, this is what I do to my, for myself when any time people I feel are un, totally ridiculous toward me and wounded me and hurt me. This is what I do. I think of how God treated me. I look at how God has treated me. How did God treat me? Well, he sent his son to the cross when I was his enemy. So it would be absolutely hypocrisy on my part in self-righteousness if I couldn't turn around and forgive my brother and sister in Christ for hurting me or saying bad things about me. That would be hypocrisy on my part. It would also be self-righteousness. Why do I say self-righteousness? Because if I can't forgive my brother and sister in Christ and I can't love them with the love of God, I'm saying that I'm better than them. See, when you love with the love of God, you're saying I'm not better than them. Because God's forgiven me, I need to forgive them. I'm on equal footing with them. Can, I, was, I was his enemy just like they were. And I was saved on the merits of Christ just like they were. So therefore, I am obligated to love, and, to love my brother, which means forgive them when they hurt me and they wound me. Okay? So the Holy Spirit's telling us how God loved us. If we don't know that, and we don't take that on faith, we're never going to be able to love with this love. Because if you don't believe that God died, sent his son to the cross and di- to die for you when you were his enemy, then if you don't believe that, or you say you believe it, but then you forget about that, people tell, say they don't believe it, Christians do. I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm saying they forget. When they don't forgive another, and they don't love another person, another believer, and they manifest it by not forgiving them and, and being bitter toward them, they're forgetting how God has treated them. That's what they're doing. So therefore, this we have to take that on faith. That passage, say, verses 6 to 8, is telling us how God treated us. So if we believe that, that we'll be able to find the capacity to love our fellow believers. Always look at how God's treated you. I do it all the time. Anytime somebody says something nasty about me, I just go back. It might stun me at first, but I go back to this. I got to forgive them because I'm obligated to, because I'm a wicked sinner too. I'm obligated to forgive them. I am. So if I don't forgive them, I'm self-righteous. I'm saying I'm better than them. Now look at 1 John. Look at 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. Now, you know, so, so many, you hear so many churches, in, even churches that teach the word of God. You know, love is not something you just, it, love is not something you talk about and say, oh, this is the church, the, the love, love built this church. Yeah, meanwhile, everybody's backstabbing and, be, and bitter toward each other. Oh, that's great. That's showing that you're, you're living in your flesh. The, the love of God is something that's supernatural. The love of God in our lives, to love our enemies, to love and forgive those who have wounded us, is supernatural. It's not of this world. Look at 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, 
that means he's reminding them. You're loved by God. You have been loved and you are loved and you will be loved for all of eternity. Beloved, that's what it means. You're loved by all three members of the Trinity. Let us love one another for love is from God. It originates with him. It's part of his character and nature. Not a human love that needs an attractive object, but a love that can love and forgive even when the, the object of our love is obnoxious to us. We were all obnoxious to God. God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely born son. He didn't say, oh, God loves so loved the world. Well, he loved personally Bill Wenstrom. He was, he's such a wonderful person. And, you know, put your name in there. I'm putting my name in so nobody gets subjective. And, oh, he's such a, no, he said he loved the whole world with his love. We were all obnoxious to him. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And the one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Meaning you're not having fellowship with God. You don't really know who God is. You're born again and saved, but you're not forgiving. You're not being patient. You're not praying for your fellow believer. You don't love God. You don't know the love of God. You don't know God because God is love, he's saying. Look at verse 9. By this the love of God was manifested in us or to us. He's basically echoing what Paul said in Romans 5. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. So that's true love. That's real love. I wrote a song about that. In this is love. Not that we loved God. We had no capacity to prior to salvation. But that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Spiritual obligation. You have no choice. I like, I laughed one time. I was listening to this uh, thing about, uh, I was reading this thing and about this pastor. And he committed some indiscretion. It was bad. But, you know, there was a comment there which was totally unbiblical. I had to laugh. That people, oh, it, it, you know, they couldn't forgive this guy. That's a bunch of baloney. You're obligated to forgive that guy. If the guy has broken it off and the church discipline has taken place and he's broken off whatever he did or that he stopped doing whatever he's done, you're obligated to forgive that guy. You're obligated to bring him back into your fellowship. I don't care what he's done. God has forgiven the person. If he confessed the sin, God has forgiven him. Now, how come Christians can't accept people who screw up? If anybody has screwed up and they've repented, we, we could, we are absolutely obligated to bring them back into our fellowship. But to say that we can't forgive a person, we have no right to say that. We're obligated to love and forgive each other. It's not a choice, it's an obligation. You have an obligation to do that. So look at it, it says in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses, acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Now look what he says. We have come to know and have believed. What? The love which God has for us. Remember I told you earlier? Look at the point on the board. Divine love is produced by the Holy Spirit in the believer. He, he gives it to us. He communicates the love of God and the person of Christ through the teaching of the word of God. He's pouring his love into, the love of God is being poured into our hearts. Divine love is produced by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit in the believer who responds by faith to the Spirit's revelation in the word of God as to God's love for the Christian. So therefore, when he says we've come to know and have believed, 
the love which God has for us. So people, Christians, when we don't love and forgive, what we're not pray for our fellow believer, what we're doing is we're not operating in faith. Because if we were operating in faith, we'd believe that God treat, how God treated us when we were his enemies. If we believe that, we can turn around and love the person who's wounded us. So we've come to know and to believe the love which God has for us. God is love as to his nature. And the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So go back to Romans 15.30, please. So when he says, by the love of the Spirit, the word Spirit there uh, is the word penevma. And uh, the word Spirit here, this is the final time that it appears in the Roman epistle. And once again, it's used here with reference to the Holy Spirit. The book of Romans has more to say about the Holy Spirit than all of Paul's writings. Romans chapter 8, we saw the 14 affirmations about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is mentioned quite a bit about the, uh, by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. So if you really want to do a great study on the Holy Spirit, you should, do, uh, you should study the book of Romans. One of the best books of all time on the Holy Spirit is by a man named Gordon Fee called God's Empowering Presence. He's a Pentecostal, but he's an, even, don't get scared off by that. This guy is a great scholar of the New Testament. He's one of the greatest scholars in the church today. I don't agree with him on everything, especially with tongues, but he, uh, he's amazing textual criticism. And he did a book on the God's Empowering Presence, and he went through all, he went through all Paul's writings about the, his use of the, of the word penevma here. And he did a great job uh, on, the, on the book. Now, this word, uh, uh, spirit here, is again referring to the Holy Spirit, of course. And the word functions as a genitive of production. And that would indicate to us that divine love, that the divine love that we've been speaking about, needed to pray for Paul, is produced by the Spirit in the Roman believers. So you could say, now I urge you, brethren, on the basis of our common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and on the basis of the divine love produced by the Holy Spirit. How does he produce it in, in us? He teaches us through the word of God. He pours it into our hearts about God's love for us. And then we have to operate in faith. We have to take that revelation at, on faith in order for us to live in that particular uh, uh, love and to obey the command to love one another as God and Christ has loved us. Now the word agape, love, is the object of the preposition thea, as I noted before. And again, this preposition functions as a marker of efficient cause. And that indicates, again, the basis for Paul's appeal to his readers to strive together with him in prayer for himself. In other words, Paul's readers were to fight together with him in prayer for himself on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit in the believer. So we could translate verse 30 up to this point. Now I appeal to you, all of you, my spiritual brothers and sisters, on the basis of our common relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and in addition, on the basis of the divine love produced by the Spirit, to fight together with me in your prayers to God for me. So therefore, with this prepositional phrase, which is translated in your Bibles, the New American Standard here, by the love of the Spirit, that prepositional phrase, in that prepositional phrase, Paul's saying that based upon the divine love that is produced by the Spirit, Paul was appealing to his readers to strive together with him and prayer for himself. So if you love, you, if you love, you will, you will, uh, you will pray for your fellow believer. An expression, and the fact that you're loving God and you're loving your fellow believers, God wants you to, is commanded you to, is demonstrated in the fact that you pray. 
Next time, ask you, see, test, make a test for yourself. Next time somebody has hurt you or wound you, are you praying for them or are you complaining about them? Sin nature says, complain. Because that's what the world does. That's what the sin nature does. That's what the devil's kingdom does. Do you pray for them? Or if you do, and you're not, not the prayer, oh, break their teeth in their mouth, the imprecatory prayer like David did for his enemies. No, when you pray for them, that God would bless them, you know, that, you, that God would do something good for them, that God would, would help them. Because when you do that, you're recognizing the fact that your fellow believer is on the same footing as you. And all, even though you might have a problem with them. But uh, Paul didn't have a, remember, in, Paul's, in our context, Paul didn't have a problem with anybody. He's just saying, I, and I'm just trying to draw, a, uh, try, draw an application for our church and for all Christians to, to go by. But Paul's saying, I, I want you to pray because I share a common relationship with you. And also, you know, I, I, based upon the divine love that's produced by the Spirit, I want you to pray for me. And I want you to fight together with me in prayer. And it's a struggle. We're going to see tomorrow evening that prayer is a struggle many times. And this church has been under tremendous, I'll tell you right now, myself, and I know this church has been under tremendous, tremendous attack from the enemy. And I, and I as a Christian, I think, well, you know, I've been through some things, but this, this, is, this attack myself personally and, and on the life of this church is phenomenal. It's like, I mean, wow. I mean, I look at it as a, as a, as a uh, what, the, what do you want to call it? A compliment. You know, because I mean, evidently we must be causing some damage, and and I think we I think we are, but uh, to the kingdom of darkness. But that that gives us another incentive to pray for each other. That we're on the, we're we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We should pray for each other based upon that, and also because of the love of God. Because the love of God wants us to pray for each other. That's what Paul's referring to. That's the principle, the application we can gather from this particular study in Romans 15.30. And we'll, uh, we'll finish this off, this verse off tomorrow evening. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time to study your word. We thank you for everyone here. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us in the application of the things that we've learned. That would we be sensitive to what the Spirit said to us this evening and be brutally honest with each other and not deceive ourselves. And if we failed, help us to recover and to do the right thing and to pray for each other and to pray for not only our, our, the leaders of the church, but each other as members of the body of Christ, whether it's part of this local assembly or and, and we should pray for all Christians throughout the world, not just in our own local church. And help us to do that and help us to, to grow in love, Father. Help us to continue to go to the scriptures, to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Tell us about this love that you had for us when we were your enemies and that you sent your son to the cross for us when we were against you and hated you and also raised us up and seated us with your son at your right hand through the baptism of the Spirit when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. Help us to remember that in this church and all Christians to remember that. Help us to understand and remember that how we, you treated us when we were your enemies so that we can also uh, operate in that same love toward each other, that love that brings glory to you and demonstrates that we're disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ, a love that only the Spirit can produce in us through the teaching of the Word of God as we exercise faith in what the Spirit says to us in the Bible. So, Father, we also pray that you give us uh, guide the prayer meeting after and also give us traveling mercies on the way home for those in the chapel and guide the fellowship through the power of the Spirit after church, after this uh, uh, class is over as well. And our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.